0: Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And as you're doing that, I want you to think about the fact, I think most of you will agree with this. If not, I hope I'll persuade you that it's true, that every follower of Jesus, even really committed followers of Jesus, we will all have times when we face temptations in our lives that, that are so strong, so powerful, that we know that in our own strength, we can't do anything about it. We will all face temptations that strong. You're not alone. Every believer, strong, weak, we we all face that from time to time. And let me give you an illustration from the life of Jim Elliot. How many have heard of Jim Elliot? He's a U.S. guy, but we're back in the 1950s now. But I want to share with you about Jim Elliot. He was a passionately committed follower of Jesus. And probably the most powerful illustration of that is that when he heard about the Alca Indians in South America, in Ecuador, I believe, and when he heard that they'd been cut off from civilization for as long as everybody knew and had never heard the gospel, therefore it broke his heart. And he gathered four other guys. They gathered together and started to pray about this. And they knew it would be risky to go because some oil engineers had flown in recently and had explored in Alca territory and had been killed by the Alka Indians, but these men, knowing that, prayed, and they were so captured by how Jesus would be glorified through a church being planted amongst the Alkas, and so captured by their desperate need, what they were facing for eternity, that they went. Now, they were wise and cautious. They flew their airplane over the Alka tribe a number of times, and every time they would drop down gifts. Gifts, 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 day after day, just to show them their goodwill. And then finally they prayed and they felt like it's time. And so they landed their airplane on a sandbar right by the river. And the Alcas rushed out and killed them. Now, I share that for the main reason is I want you to understand that Jim Elliott is a strong believer. But just, I got to tell you the end of the story, though, okay? In a few years most of that village were following Jesus Christ, because others had gone, including Jim Elliot's wife, and had taken the risk. And this time, there was a dramatic change in them. And they, they, many of them, I don't know about all of them, but most of them, I've heard, came to faith in Christ. Okay, so that's the end of the story. Whew, isn't that awesome? Now, back to Jim Elliot. He was a strong believer, and he had times when he felt temptations that were so strong he knew that in his own strength, he couldn't do anything. Let me give you an illustration. Here's what he writes in his journal. How vile and base my thoughts have been lately. Not just unkind or unsympathetic, but rotten. Rotten thinking that cannot be overcome simply by willing to be rid of them. You felt the same way, haven't you? Times when you have felt your heart so drawn towards jealousy. It's like, my own power can't do anything to stop that. So drawn towards worry or anxiety. That's just too strong for me and my own power to handle. And that's true of every follower of Jesus. Those who are like super committed like Jim Elliott and those who are, maybe the rest of us feel like we're weaker, but we will all experience that. And at those times, you can feel like it's hopeless. But what we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 1 is that it's not hopeless. We're going to see what God has given us at those times. So yes, it's beyond your strength. It is not beyond His strength. And we're going to see what He gives us for how we, by His strength, can conquer those temptations that we face. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter (laughs) 1. Today we'll be covering verses 18 through 23, but let me just give you the overall uh, flow of thought, which we looked at last week briefly. In verses 1 and 2, there's an introduction to the letter. Verses 3 to 14, then Paul tells us that God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ, right? There's election, there's predestination, there's redemption, freedom from sin's power, forgiveness of sins, knowledge of, of what God's plan is for the future to unite all things in glorifying Christ, There's our inheritance, which we'll be talking about more today, and then there's being sealed with the Spirit. So every spiritual blessing God has given to us. And then in verses 15 through 23, Paul prays that because of all these blessings we already have, that doesn't mean we've already got everything God has for us, because Paul then prays, God, give them more. Let them know you more deeply because of the foundation of these spiritual blessings. Let's Read verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. Remember, that's knowing the truth, and of revelation, that's feeling the truth, this is from last week, spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit giving us the wisdom, the Holy Spirit giving us revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, remember the cataract of sin that He comes and cuts off of our eyes, spiritualized, so we can see. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know, and now he lists three ways we can know God more deeply. First, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Second, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And third, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He, the Father, God the Father, put all things under His, Jesus' feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him. Who fills all in all? So notice three ways Paul prays that we can know God more deeply. First, we know the hope of our calling. We looked at that last week, and then second, that we know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and then third, that we would know the immeasurable His immeasurable power toward us who believe. So we're going to cover numbers two and three today. So let's dig into number two. we know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Look at verse 18 again. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know first, what is the hope to which he has called you, and then second, here's our focus, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. There's an inheritance. Now, what is this inheritance? What is it? An inheritance is something that parents or relatives might leave to a younger child, something of great worth, great value leave to a younger child that they will receive in the future. And all through the Bible, we read that God has given an inheritance to all those who've been forgiven for their sins through trusting Jesus Christ. So because you're trusting Jesus, because you've been forgiven by him, you have an inheritance awaiting you in heaven. It is there. You will be there one day. You will experience that. Have you thought about that lately? Just look out in the future. There's the inheritance. And like we said last week, life here is about this long and, and eternity is like, we have more room to move in this place. It's, it's like goes and goes and goes. And you have an inheritance. So what is this inheritance? What does it mean? What will we experience with this inheritance? All of verse 18 says is that it is rich... And glorious that's that's good but but like what is it now one way some people try to answer that question is by reading a lot of books uh, written by people who have died and then according to them gone to heaven and then they are resuscitated and they're back and they write a book about what they've experienced now, there's two problems that i would just caution you about with those books one problem is Um, as well-meaning as those people might be, we can't be sure uh, that what they're saying describes heaven because you've read other stories of people who've died and been resuscitated and they've experienced things that we know aren't what the future's about. People can experience all kinds of things in that kind of of setting. And so even if someone thinks they're in heaven, and hears Jesus talking and they love the Lord, we shouldn't assume and conclude that what they saw and heard and felt was right. It's just a caution. That's one concern. We can't be sure. But the second reason is because if we're pursuing that, then we're neglecting what God has given us in terms of this is how we have 100% true truth. Absolutely take it to the bank, rock solid. You can count on it forever truth about what the inheritance is. And so let's not neglect what God has given to us in terms of how we know about the inheritance. And so what I want to do this morning is show three scriptures from the scriptures. Uh, that describe our inheritance. And I just, I love these. And I'm praying that as we look at these scriptures, the Holy Spirit will move even more and that growing in your heart will be a sense of the riches of this glorious inheritance. That you'll know that and that you'll feel that by His power. So first scripture, look at Psalm 73, 26. Psalm seventy-three twenty-six. The psalmist says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. Underline that word portion in your Bibles. My portion forever. That word portion is the Hebrew word for inheritance. And so what is our portion according to this verse? God is our inheritance. God is our portion. Do you see that? God is the strength of my heart, and God is my portion forever. So your inheritance is God. Here, now, we see through a mirror dimly. The day is going to come when you will see God face to face. You will be in his very presence, the one who has always been from eternity past, the one who created the universe, you will see His perfect mercy and love and goodness and joy, and you will receive God, a closer relationship, a face-to-face relationship with God than you've, never, than you've ever known before. That's Psalm 73:26. "God is the inheritance." Second Scripture. First Peter one, three and four. Look at what Peter writes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, underline that word, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So the inheritance is imperishable because God is forever. God as your inheritance is forever. It will never stop ever. That's your your inheritance. It's imperishable. It is undefiled because God has no imperfections, no flaws. As you fellowship with him and worship him, there will never be a time where you say, "Oh, I'm disappointed." Look look at that. No, not at all. He is undefiled no imperfections, and then your inheritance is unfading. This is one of my favorite ones, because what that means is, because God's glory and beauty are infinite, you will never get bored in heaven. You'll never get tired of beholding God, worshiping Him, loving Him, praising Him, seeing Him revealed in the person of Jesus. You will never tire. When you, when you first arrive in heaven, it's going to be, Oh, God, you are glorious. You'll just be blown away. I thought I knew you're amazing. A hundred years in the future, after you've been in his presence, you'll be saying, wow, God, look at, you are incredible. And a million years in the future, you'll be just, oh, I want to fall on my face and worship. Look at who you are because God is unfading. He's infinite in his perfections. So you'll never say, okay, I guess I, guess I got all of God now. Now what are we going to do? That'll never happen. He's unfading. That's the inheritance. One more scripture. Revelation 21, 6 through 7. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son, my daughter. Now, the word heritage is from the same root as the word inheritance. You can see it there in the English word also, same in the Greek. And in this verse, we see the same truth as we saw in Psalm seventy-three twenty-six. right? Our inheritance is God himself. God said, I will be his God. He will be my son. She will be my daughter. So let this sink in. You, as your inheritance, you will know God in such a close way that God says, you're my son. You're my daughter. God's the perfect father. Love and care and affection and joy and delight in us, his children. So you understand, you will be there and God will be your father and you will be his daughter. Isn't that amazing? And you will be his son. This is your inheritance. Oh, Lord, come. I wish I could do justice to this, but the Holy Spirit can can stir your heart beyond what I can do. So, Lord, come and do it stir our hearts. So that's the inheritance. Verse 7, it's God being His Son. And then verse 6, how does that affect us? To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. We'll have all of our heart thirsts satisfied forever. Now, we all know heart thirsts in this life, right? Fears, uh, jealousies, Frustrations, disappointments, blue screen of death, frustration, you know, we, we all have heart thirst that we experience. Now, Jesus taught that in this life, when we come to Him, when we believe in Him, He will satisfy all of our heart thirsts. But what Revelation 21, six is saying is that as much as Jesus fills us completely and satisfies us here, heaven's going to be even more filled and satisfied with the very presence of God. So putting this all together, your inheritance is everlasting and ever-increasing joy in beholding God revealed in the person of Jesus. Never-ending, never-boring, everlasting, ever-increasing joy in God. That's your inheritance. And Paul prays that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance. Now, why is it so important for us to know that? There's lots of possible reasons, but I I thought about a quote that Jan put with a magnet on our refrigerator, which is one of my favorite ones over the past years, I want to share it with you today. William Gurnall wrote a a, a massive book, over a 1,000 pages, on the spiritual armor of Ephesians 6. He wrote this in the 1600s, still being printed today. Here's what he said about how this is so important. This is why Paul prays that we would know the inheritance, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Here's what William Gernal said He says, It is impossible to sin when you have lively thoughts and hopes of the glory of heaven. It's psychologically impossible to sin when your heart is filled with the joy of heaven. It's impossible. When the thoughts of heaven are long out of the Christian's sight, been distracted, preoccupied by other things, he begins to set up some idol, something else you're going to long for and and hope in. But let heaven come in sight, and the Christian's heart will be well warmed with thoughts of it. It is easier to persuade a king to throw his crown into a gutter than to persuade a heaven-focused saint to sin. That's why Paul prays, that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance. And I want to encourage you, that's why you should pray, we should pray, is pray for ourselves. God, help me to see more of your inheritance and feel more of your inheritance. Because when our hearts are filled with the inheritance, we will not be tempted to sin. And that's why we should pray for each other. Husbands, I mentioned this last week, pray for your wife. God, show her the riches of your glorious inheritance. Women, pray for your husband. Father, show him. Pour out your spirit. Show him the riches of your glorious inheritance. Parents, pray for your children. Young people, pray for your parents. Pray for those in your home group. Let's pray for us as Grace Church. God, show us more of the riches of your glorious inheritance. It'll transform us. And that brings us to the Next way, Paul prays that we would go deeper in knowing God, and it's that let's read it in verse 19. He says, "And I pray that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? The immeasurable greatness of his power." Now, I asked a question this week from this passage I've, I've never asked before. It's not that I can remember. And that is, what is this power for? Paul wants us to know this power. Well, what will this power do? And all through the Bible, we see that God's power works in many, 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 many different ways for his people, lots of different ways. But is there one that Paul's focusing on in this passage? Because Paul goes on and talks about his power in verse 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. So he elaborates on this quite a bit. And as I studied verses 19 through 23... I noticed that there are similar words in 19 through 23 as there are in chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. So I want us to read 19 through 21 here first. We'll cover 22 and 23 in a moment, and then compare it with Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, and I want to show you what conclusion I drew from this. So let's start with Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Paul prays that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of His, God's, power toward us who believe. Think about that word power. Notice that word power. According to the working of the strength of His might, both those words are underlined, we'll come back to that in a moment, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There's Ephesians 1, 19 through 21. Now, let's read Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, and notice all the parallels of words that are used. Paul says, finally, be empowered. Now, that word has the Greek word power, same as in Ephesians 1:19 with a little prefix. So finally, be empowered in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. The exact same words as there in verse 19, the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Again, notice those words, same words as in verse 21. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we are wrestling against supernatural, wicked, evil powers. So when you're feeling your heart drawn towards jealousy or towards lust or towards anger, it's not just a mental, psychological thing you're about. Like, stop thinking that way. Get over it. Stop it. There's something much bigger going on. Supernatural, spiritual powers are at work pulling you, drawing you, pushing you in this direction. And Paul's main point, I think, in chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, is that God has given Jesus a position of power over all these spiritual forces of evil, and that this power is available to us in Christ now. This was a new thought for me. I would never thought that that's what was going on in verses 19 through 23. So whenever I get a new thought, I always want to see if I can find at least one other commentator that says the same thing just to protect the church you know, from crazy ideas I might have. And I found one. Harold Honer wrote an amazing commentary on the book of Ephesians. He's, he was for 40 years a professor at Dallas Seminary where Zach Galman is studying. Okay. Here's what he said about this passage. Ephesians 1. He's talking about Ephesians 1. Paul prays that we might know the surpassing greatness of God's power. It is this kind of power that is needed, why? To survive the satanic, hostile powers and worldly system that surrounds us. The only change I would make there is I'd like to make the word survive a little stronger, like overcome, right? We're not just surviving, and he may not have meant that it's like we're just barely making it through, but. It's clear from what Paul says here that we have power to overcome in Christ. We have that power. Now, let's walk through verses 19 through 23, and I want to show you how that's what Paul is saying. So we've looked at similar language in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, which talks about our battle against supernatural spiritual powers. Now back to chapter 1. Paul is saying God has put Christ in a position of power over all of them, and he's given Christ to the church, and in Christ we now have power over those supernatural powers. Let's take a look. Verse 19, Paul prays that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So Paul wants us to understand that the, he wants us to understand the power that God has given us in Christ is over every other power. That's verse 19. And then verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So God gave Jesus Christ this position of power. He raised him from the dead, seated him at his, the Father's right hand, in a position of power over all these wicked, evil, supernatural, spiritual forces. Keep reading verse 22. And he, God the Father, put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him then, as head over all these things, the position of power over all these evil spiritual beings, gave him as head over all these things to the church, to you, to Grace Church, to Cornerstone Church, to Redeemer Church, to his church, his people. God gave Jesus as head over all these powers, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, I hope you see that verses 19 through 23, that's what Paul's talking about. God has given Jesus a position of power over all these evil powers, supernatural powers, and then God gave Jesus to the church, which means that in Jesus now, we, have power over these supernatural spiritual beings and forces. Now this raises another question. Okay, we've 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 got this, he's given Christ to the church. How do we access this power? Because you've we all know this is not how it works. It's not that the moment you put your trust in Christ, you receive this power and from then on it's just like temptation Pfft, be gone. Pfft, be gone! Get away! Just like get it! I just got power over all of them all the time. I got that one? Ha, gone! You know some, you know movie with an amazing fighter or something. It's not how it is, right? We feel like we're wrestling. Ephesians six ten. We wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against these supernatural spiritual powers. We wrestle. Oh, right, right We're wrestling which means that it's not just some automatic thing like, "Oh, well, I got the power now, it's not how it works. So you may have thought that's what it was. I hope this relieves you. And maybe it'll, it'll sober all of us in terms of what, what the battle is. So the question I want to ask is, how do, we act, how do we access this power? How do we get this power? And there is something we can do. Remember in Ephesians 6.10, we read, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So there's something that we can do to be strong in Him. We're not automatically strong in Him, but we're commanded to, Okay, now you folks, getting tempted, be strong in the Lord. Paul tells us there's something we can do. And and what is it that we can do? I think the answer is in verse 23 of chapter 1. Read that verse again. Paul says, he's talking about the church, which is his Jesus body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we, the body of Christ, are the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. We are the fullness of Jesus who fills every believer in every way. That's what Paul's talking about here what does that mean? I thought of another passage in Ephesians that has similar language. See if, see if this helps you. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Excuse me. Here's what Paul prays. He's, he's praying for us again here. I pray that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled, there's that word, with all the fullness of of God. So what it means to be the fullness of Christ, back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, is that we so powerfully know His love, experience His love, taste His love, that we are filled to overflowing. That's what I think Paul's talking about back in verse 23. And God does this according to His incredible power. Look at verse 19 of Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, namely filling us with all the fullness of God as we know His love, verse 18. To him is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So there's the power. And in this verse, the power fills us with God's love. So here's what this is saying. God's power can completely fill your heart overflow your heart with love that's what his power can do now with that in mind back to chapter one verses 22 and 23 are you following with me here okay 22 and 23 chapter one he put all things under his jesus feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills with his love all believers in all ways and he also fills all in all in all. I don't want to limit it to that, but that's one of the implications of this passage. So, again, God the Father has given Jesus the position of power over all wicked spiritual beings. And so how do we experience this? We experience this by pressing in to behold Jesus, by seeking his face in prayer, by saying, Father, pour Jesus' love into my heart, by opening up the Scriptures Show me Jesus' love. Help me to see Jesus' love and feel Jesus' love. And when that happens, we will be filled with Jesus' love. And when we're filled with Jesus' love, we have complete power over every temptation that we will ever face. Now, it doesn't mean for the rest of your life you'll never struggle with temptation. We get filled and then we leak. Right? Get filled and then, then you leak. Okay? So... Please don't misunderstand. That's why there's wrestling that goes on. See, here's how this works. When we're being drawn towards sin, it's because we're not filled with Jesus' love. Only empty hearts can become bitter or jealous or Desiring something else more than Jesus. Only empty hearts get drawn away into sin. Whenever we sin, it's because we're trying to fill our empty hearts. So it's always going on. But when we press into Jesus, say, Fill me, show me your love, pour your love into my heart. We're praying, we're studying, we're soaking ourselves in God's word. The Holy Spirit will come and answer Paul's prayer of Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, will be filled with His love, will be filled with all the fullness of God, and when we're filled, temptations will lose their power. Now let me illustrate it like this. Okay, we got a bottle of water here. And let's say that this cup is, is a cup of sin, right there, okay? I'll put it up here so you can see it. That's a little risky. Okay, we'll try it. Okay, a little cup of sin. Now, if, if I'm, and, and this is Jesus, okay. So, this is. Notice the size difference, okay. Just, and this doesn't come close to describing the size difference. So, if if I'm if I'm drinking of, you know, Jesus, right. And I'm walking through life, and I've got Jesus with me, and I'm. Mm, whenever I never get thirsty. It's like, oh, one more hit. Mmm. Ah, you're so good. I'm so I'm so satisfied. Am I going to be interested in this cup of sin over here? You're not getting it yet. Okay, let's try, try it again. Okay, this is Jesus. This is sin, okay? Size difference, all right? So if I'm walking through life and I'm oh, I'm a little thirsty here, mm, thank you, pour your love into my heart. Yes, okay. I'm, my, my heart thirsts are satisfied. I'm filled. I, I, am I going to be interested in this water of sin? Somebody's taking the lead there. Thank you very much. Okay, you're absolutely right. We're not going to be drawn into that, okay? It's not going to happen. But if if you leave Jesus over there and you're, you know, you're working at your day, you know, and you got things going on at work and starting to get thirsty a little bit, and wow, I got some stresses and strains, and it's like, oh, water. See, then you're gonna be drawn, right? See, so only empty hearts get drawn towards sin. Whenever we sin, it's because we're trying to satisfy our heart thirst with sin. This is so important to understand. Do you see that? Okay, because I left Jesus over here and I'm, I'm just living my life and I'm getting thirstier and thirstier and thirsty and all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm just thirsty. It's like, ooh, lust or jealousy. That would make me feel good. Yeah, that person has that. He shouldn't have that. Or anger. How could they do that to me? You know, like, right? Anger fills your heart up. With, it's a little bit feels better than nothing if you're angry, you know, frustrated about something. And so it's thirsty hearts that are drawn towards sin. But... If I'm, if I'm, it's like, oh man, jealousy or anger, I'm being drawn towards this, here it comes, these powers are getting me, but wait a minute, hold it, I remember, quick, 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 mm. ah, no problem, lost its power, okay, are we clear? That's how it works. So God has put Jesus in a position of power over all supernatural spiritual powers, that are seeking to draw us towards sin. And the way we access that power is by being filled with His love because when we are filled with Him, when our heart thirsts are satisfied in Him, sin's shabby, wimpy pleasures have no pull on us. If we've got Jesus, a massive bottle, okay, we're never going to be drawn to have our hearts satisfied in sin. Yeah, that, that's what Paul is saying in this passage. <laughs> so let me just review two requests Paul is asking God. Lord, Lord, help them to know you more deeply. One is that we know the riches of his glorious inheritance, because when our hearts are filled with thoughts of heaven, like William Gurnall said, we have no interest in sin because we're filled And Paul prays that we would know the immeasurable power which he has toward us who believe. And then he explains, here's what I mean. I'm talking about how God has put Jesus in a position of power through his resurrection and through seating at his right hand. God has put Jesus in a position of power over all supernatural demonic powers. And the way we, and then he gives Jesus to the church. We have Jesus. We have Jesus, okay? He gives Jesus to the church. And as we take time to to press in, to seek His face in prayer, to marinate ourselves in the Scriptures, to worship Him, He will fill us again and again and again and again with His love. Now, as I was praying over this last couple days, I just feel like I want to say too many people have the idea that the Christian life is just going to church because you're supposed to, and then like trying to be a fairly decent person during the week, but, but they've never knelt down by their bed, opened up their Bibles, cried out to God, poured out their soul before Him, fill me, I want to know you, meet me, come. And if you just go to church and try to be a decent person, pff, why do that? We can know the living God through the person of Jesus. We can drink. Mmm. Filled. Satisfied. And so, Grace Church, I just want to encourage you. Do you have a rhythm in your life of seeking the Lord's face, of pouring out your soul before Him, of opening up the Scriptures, of pressing in, God, meet me? And again, some times when we do that, we'll receive just, you know, just a Oh, that's good, thank you, okay, good. Other times we'll be like, mm, mm. more, 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 more. It varies, that's in God's hands, but we're pressing in, we're pressing in. So I want to encourage you, don't settle for just going to church and trying to be a fairly decent person. Do you know Him? Have you met Him? Have you experienced being filled by Him? The book is full about that. Don't, this is not my own idea. This is what Paul says. Don't settle for anything less. So let me give you three takeaways from this passage. First, see how beautiful the Christian life is. If, if you are not yet trusting Jesus, I'm hoping that this morning, by the way, we're glad you're here, uh, and I'm hoping that this morning you're thinking, that sounds interesting. If, if that was true, that would be amazing to meet the living God in prayer and have my heart filled with His love. So I'm, I'm experiencing that on the inside and I'm transformed with my desires and my actions on the outside. That would be amazing if that were true. I hope you're feeling that because the good news is it's true. It's true. And you could experience that this morning, he says, "If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. From his innermost being will flow rivers of living water." That's what Jesus promised, and so I hope that this passage this morning, if you're not yet trusting Jesus, has wet your appetite a little bit, has, has, has aroused, your, stirred your curiosity a little bit. It's like that would be amazing. It's actually no. God and be filled with Jesus' love so my heart is overflowing. And the reason that he can do that for us, we've we've all sinned against God, you have, we, we all have, is because even though our sin means we justly face God's punishment, God in love and care for us sent Jesus and was punished in our place. And so when you trust Jesus for the first time, you'll be completely forgiven for all your sins, past, present, and future. And He will pour His love into your heart. He'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He'll seal you with the Spirit, like we talked about a few weeks ago, and you'll be filled with His presence, with His love, and you'll be satisfied. He'll forgive you. He'll fill you. And then because you're filled, you'll be changed. This morning, turn from your sin, turn from your independence of him, and trust Jesus Christ. And and watch what he does in your heart and in your life. That's the first takeaway. Second takeaway is, fight temptation by being filled with Jesus' love. If the water of sin is here, okay, and if you've left Jesus aside, and you've been walking, and, and you're getting thirsty, and all of a sudden you see, oh man, I'm thirsty for that jealousy. I'm thirsty for that covetousness. I'm thirsty for that greed. It's foolish to try to fight that thirsty by saying, even though I'm thirsty, I'm just not going to drink. I'm just going to be thirsty. and just not drink. See how foolish that is? Why not drink? And so often when we fight sin, we just grit our teeth. And try not to, or make ourselves do what we're supposed to. Instead of meeting the living Jesus, having Him fill our hearts with His love, and then our desires will change and our actions will change. I think we're all prone to this. I know I, I, I'm prone to this too, but let's, as a church, fight temptation by being filled with Jesus' love. That's what Paul's calling us to do here. And I would guess for some of you this morning... This might be very good news because some of you, I would imagine, have been battling against an area of sin for so long and have been defeated so many times that you have thrown in the towel and have basically said it's hopeless. And yet, have you cried out to the Lord, fill me, satisfy me in yourself, break the power of of the, the pull of sin by quenching my heart thirst with your presence? And have you pressed in and met him in that way? That's where the power to overcome temptation comes from, not from your discipline or your willpower. Remember, Jim Elliott said, I've got these horrible thoughts in my mind. My willpower can't do anything about those. Let's just call it what it is. We're powerless before many temptations, all temptations, I would say, until we come to Jesus and he fills us with his love and then we have his power. Okay, third takeaway. (laughs) Third takeaway. Start each day getting filled with Jesus' love. Okay? Don't, don't leave Jesus at home when you go to work. Don't leave him at church on Friday mornings and you head into Friday afternoons. Here's some good news. Jesus is transportable. Okay? You can take Jesus with you because he's here by his Holy Spirit. And if you start off in the morning, I would I would urge you, start off in the morning drinking. See, drinking Jesus, you don't need to wait until what six or whatever, all day long you can be drinking of of Jesus. And drink in the morning. Get time in the morning where you're letting him fill your heart. And then throughout the day, keep your reservoir full. Okay? Just keep sipping. To keep Lord fill me. I trust you. I've got this frustration. Help me with this. Come and help me. He will keep filling you all through the day. Why? Get thirsty and pulled, pulled, pulled towards sin, because if you're constantly drinking, then you won't be pulled towards sin. Do you see how that works? So, preventative medicine, if you will. Keep your heart thirsts satisfied with His love. So, see how beautiful the Christian life is. Fight temptation by being filled with His love, and start each day filled with Jesus' love, and then throughout the day, continue being filled with His love. Let's stand together. I want to pray about this for us. Father, I ask that you would bring your power upon us right now. We all have different needs and different struggles and different backgrounds, spiritual backgrounds. But, Lord, you know us all. And the good news of this passage is true for us all I pray for those here who have not yet turned to trust Jesus thank you for bringing them here today Lord I pray that they would see your love see your goodness see the forgiveness that you have accomplished in Christ and that they can receive that forgiveness by trusting your holy son I pray that right now they would turn and trust Jesus to forgive them to fill them and to change them. Lord, right now, pour your love into their hearts as they do that, I pray in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, for any of us who have been battling areas of temptation and have been defeated time and time and time and time time again. Thank you that your forgiveness, your mercy, is new every morning. We love that. But, oh, Lord, I pray that we would not battle sin just by gritting our teeth or by trying to will ourselves away from it but that we would do what Paul is calling us to do to press in to be filled with your love in Christ so that we would be satisfied and that we would not be drawn by the puny pleasures of sin when we have the all-satisfying pleasure of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen Grace Church in getting time every day seeking your face starting off the day so that we head into the day full and that we're we're drinking throughout the day so that we continue to be filled so the temptations will lose their power.